Todd and Rob in the afternoon. Hey, afternoon delight. With Todd and Rob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody. We're back with the uh, new media show. I had to think there for a second which show I'm on right now. But uh, we've got a great show lined up for you. Of course, we were off last week because, Rob, I was out with the team planning our conk of the world right right <laughs> the blueberry takeover of podcasting that's what you were planning yeah on. well anyway something like that but we had a great team meeting it was like the first time we were all face to face in literally like two years so yeah. you know it's one thing to be on zoom we all kind of walked away with one thing was we need to do that more often because it was just so nice to team build and you know you don't ever talk about what's going on in life and you know i have time to have a beer or you know all these things that go on when you're hanging out with your your coworkers. so i think we're going to up the ante on that maybe move it to a twice a year where we fly the team in it was it was a very very productive two days but anyway so that's why i wasn't here and you weren't here last week right that's true and that's true and before we introduce our guest, though, and she's hanging out in the Hollywood squares with us here. Um, <laughs> Center square. Yeah, I do want to mention that we got some boost. And uh, we are we are actually wired. So if anyone boosts the show today, you'll hear the pew pew uh, in the audio. Uh, but um, we got 333 sats from Brian of London. He says, great to have you on board, Value for Value for Value. Want to learn more about pod? If you want to learn more about pod ping, I'm happy to talk. Brian at v4v.app. We got 15,150 sats from Scott C. Cora. He says, hey, guys, love the show. Longtime listener, first time booster. Pew, pew. Appreciate the show and all of you are, and all you are doing. And they have to switch from Libsyn to Blueberry. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah, if there you, we go. <laughs> here we go. If you get rolling with implementing podcasting 2.0 features, by the way, I'm still waiting for my sticker from you guys. Mailed mine during COVID. And you read my message and got my sticker. I guess you forgot Boost. I'll boost more once I get my new media care package. Thanks, guys. Scott from the Talking Peers podcast. Scott, email me. And something's happened. The things went sideways. So Todd at Blueberry.com, just email me. I'll get that out to you because we want you to boost, boost. You got an email, 2,000 sats from Dave Jackson, School of Podcasting. He says, Castomatic is overcast. It does crypto for those on iOS if you're checking different apps. I got a... Dave's always great about out there trying new stuff all the time, isn't he? That's right. Masaya Podcast, he says, are active podcasts in decline? 50 sats. We got uh, 20,420 sats from Scott. He says, thank you for your show. The namesake plug-in is what I've been waiting for. I've been a Blueberry hosting $20 a month customer since 2012, but haven't done podcasts in like five years. Cannabis B News, I have started rebuilding it so I could use value for value, stacking sats for the future. Yeah, Scott, so just add the, uh, if you're using PowerPress, add the plug-in. Uh, it's not our plug-in. It's uh, one of our team. Just Send me an email, I'll send you the link to it. Uh, but don't worry, more uh, Podcast 2.0 stuff coming from us soon. And I think here that, no, okay, so let me double check. I think we've got everything counted. So that's the boost to grams. Thank you for sending sats. And uh, for those of you, most of the sats came in via fountain. 
And then, of course, Dave sent Castomatic. So most of it was uh, 90% fountain, 10% uh, Castomatic. And then we've had a, we were doing some testing. So there's a whole bunch of test booths that mean nothing. So I, I just wanted, though, to make you guys understand uh, those that are listening. I'm going to do a, a little a little test boost so you guys will be able to hear what it sounds like when a boost comes in, just so you know. And so I'm kind of sending myself money. It's kind of dumb. So we'll hear that here in a second. But uh, while we're doing that, Rob, there it was. Did you hear it? Wow. Yeah. So I just sent myself money. So whenever you hear that pew come in, that means someone has donated to the show uh, while we're live. So. Sounded like the sound of a of an alien laser from a from a spaceship attacking on Independence Day is what I remember that sound from. Yeah, and I think you can actually set the <laughs> the actual um, sound. I just haven't got that sophisticated right. yet. Right. So, why, Rob? We we I've been doing all the talking. Why don't you go ahead and introduce Ariel? Yeah, it's great to be back doing, doing the show again today, and and certainly um, our guest here has. Um, had significant impact on the podcasting medium over quite a few years now. Um, and, and she's joining us, uh, Ariel Nissenblatt. And hopefully I didn't slaughter your last name. I know that you, you put out a, a little poll out there as <laughs> about people pronouncing your last name correctly. So, so anyway, she joins us from the, the earbuds collective and Squadcast FM. Um, and also just, uh, an all around terrific contributor to the podcast community and, and, uh, coming up with ideas and sharing and helping people grow their podcasts and all sorts of stuff. And that's, that's kind of what I wanted to talk with you about it, Ariel is, is just kind of all the things that you're seeing, um, go on in the new era is what I'm starting to call it of podcasting. Um, I think we are kind of coming into a new time frame that uh, there's a lot of things going on that are not necessarily from the past um, and that are changing podcasting. And and I think to some degree you are a, a little bit of a reflection of that and and also, you know, a a leader in the medium that's really starting to stand out. So um, welcome to the show, Ariel. It's great to have you join us. Thank you for having me. And yes, you pronounced my name correctly. You did a great job. Thank you very much. I was practicing over and over again before the. And you know, you know, it looks cool on the three way up there. I've got my mic set up just right. It almost looks like Ariel's yes. and right. nice yeah, mics are, are right. kind of connected together. So yeah, it does. <laughs> it's a little yeah. Okay. So before we get too deep into the uh, topic at hand, yeah, there's a couple of big things that popped here over the past two weeks, and one that just blew my socks off. And I just want to get you guys' reaction. It was the announcement that Art19 was opting in all of their podcasters. Yes, opting in, not asking them, opting in to take the PodTrack redirect on their shows. And if they didn't want it to happen, they actually have to opt out. So, and essentially, potentially making their show data public. I'm just kind of like, what? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I guess if you object, then you opt out, right? But the question really is, is 
is aren't you supposed to ask a podcaster what they want for their show, not telling them what they're going to do with their show? Yeah. Todd, I, yeah. I think there's a bit of a change and of culture going on. Yeah. Go, go, go ahead, Ariel. There are just so many podcasters who don't yet know what they want. So especially in this circumstance, I think education needs to be first. And yeah. so sort of pulling the wool over their eyes is not the move. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think default always should be to transparency and it never feels good when something happens without you knowing, and then you have to be informed about it. Yeah. I, I just, I, there's been some discussion in some channels that I'm in that were, people are just kind of wide eyed. And, uh, it, it, to me, it was, it's, it's, it's pretty shocking to be honest with you. Um, you know, it's just like a phone call I had today with one of my, well, actually a hoax, uh, someone that represents a number of shows. And I put a tweet out about it. So I'm, I'll just be, it's not like I'm not going to talk about it. But uh, Podsites actually told some of my hosting customers that we could, they could not use Podsites and use Blueberry. Hmm. That they, and they were like, uh, any customer is allowed to put whatever redirect they want in front of their, they can run PodTrack, they can run Chartable, they can run Podsites, they can run any prepend they want. We don't stop that. I was, I was just kind of like, wow. Hmm. I guess they don't like me over there. <laughs> well, I think also Todd, it's big commercial interests, um, are having an impact here. I think that's part of my new era of podcasting topic that I want to talk about too, is that I think as the influence of, of investment and money have come into the podcasting space, I, I think more and more of kind of these more, what might be termed more cutthroat business practices, um, and, and taking a position that's more competitive against the the market is kind of the the thing to do now. Um, I I think we're seeing signs of it in a lot of different places, and I don't know, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Ariel? Are you seeing the same kind of thing? Well, what I do hear in this is again, it's easy to tell people who don't necessarily know a lot about podcasting what mm -hmm. is right for them. Right. So I think, you know, unfortunately that puts the onus on the businesses whose practices are more transparent to take mm -hmm. on the role of being educators as well. So that means, you know, there's no reason that Blueberry customers should not also be able to use pod sites, but by a Spotify held company saying that they can't, that means, oh, you, I guess you have to use Anchor in order to use pod sites, right? And that shifts everybody over to where Spotify wants them to be. Um, or a megaphone or something else. Right. right. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not true. It's not true. But there are so many people. I was literally just on the phone with somebody about an hour ago who really just wanted advice about how to break into the podcast space. Mm -hmm. And as we kept talking, I realized how little he knew about podcasting, not even what an RSS feed was, not even what a hosting site was. And I had to completely shift my advice because I thought we were operating on one playing field, but we were operating on a different playing field, but he didn't want to tell me mm -hmm. that he didn't know even the baseline. So it's just, it's pretty amazing how you can steer somebody when they don't know something. And it's, it was like a prime example of this was, you know, I run the podcast awards. We, we announced our slate 
And we do a really, we go, you know, that's 300 listings we have to go through, make sure the RSS feed is right, make sure their Apple podcast link is right, their website link is right. And we, you know, all that's in there. They're supposed to have submitted that. And someone called me and said, hey, Todd, my my link is wrong. And I'm like, can I check? I said, I was going to your website. She goes, oh, no, no, no. Our main site is on Spotify. And I said, okay. I said, I can change it to Spotify, but do you understand that not every listener uses Spotify? So while you, while you may love Spotify, you may have someone that wants to check your show out and they don't use Spotify, you may exclude them. And the pause on the other, and this is an experienced podcaster that made the stack. And the pause on the other end of the phone was, oh, oh, oh. And I said, so do you want me to change the Spotify or do you want me to leave it to your website? She goes, let's leave it on the website. And I, and and I said, oh, by the way, I can't subscribe to your show from your website. So why don't you get some Spotify and Apple podcast and all that stuff on there so people can subscribe when they do come to the show. So it was, to me, it was pretty evident here that this is not just necessarily new podcasters that are challenged. It's podcasters that are established, that have done a lot of episodes, that have a big audience that may not be thinking about all these things. Um you know, and so I'm just thinking to myself, has this podcaster, which received an incredibly high number of nomination votes, has could this podcaster be bigger if they really embrace the true value of the distribution and syndication of podcasting? So it just made me think just a, a little itty bit that we've got a lot of work to do to keep ahead of the agendas that are out there. And I'm just going to say it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the RSS debate is sort of funny. I was thinking of a, I, I've seen the discourse I've seen, you know, is podcasting podcasting only if there's an RSS feed is podcasting just anything that you listen to. Is it somewhere in between? We've all heard the arguments mm -hmm. and I keep wanting to make a joke that it's not really a podcast unless it comes from the Williamsburg region of Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> like they say with champagne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those debates that Todd and I have been having on this show for, for, for a long time. Cause but, but, a lot of people have tried to get rid of, the RSS feed. I mean, this is not a new phenomenon. I but, think people. But the only have discussion to take control of it, right? The only discussion that this should be amongst is podcasters. We don't right. care where the listeners get the content, right? Right. Yeah. So you know, when a, if a podcaster asks, "Is a podcast a podcast?" And you know that that a podcaster should say, "Yes, I have to have an RSS feed." But right. when you have podcasters saying, "Me a podcast without a podcast RSS feed," I go, "Huh." You know, well, I so think what we're doing, Todd, is we're conflating the perception of the listener um, with the importance of RSS. It's and, not to the listener. It's, it's not. not. It's and not. I think oh no, they don't care how they're no, listening. They don't yeah. care how they're consuming your content. No, they don't. Yeah, care. but that's, but that's the bigger message, though, is that they don't. But podcasters do. And when we talk about this, we're talking about podcasters. I'm not talking about no. the perception of a listener, right? But others in the medium use that perception of listeners is that it doesn't matter. And I think that's just a lever to try and push out the conversation about RSS and, and it's, it's still core to the medium. Now the listeners perceive podcasting is coming from YouTube and coming from all sorts of places. Now I'm 
I'm thinking that it's not going to be too much longer before people start calling um, TikTok oh, podcasts. Definitely. You know, <laughs> probably already. Probably already. Yeah. Right, and that, that that's happening. But Todd, I also wanted to mention too about PodTrack, and I don't know that submitting the um, being a part of PodTrack is publicly releasing all podcasters' information. I think it's only being done for the what the top twenty, right? Well, they talked top about coming network. out with some new product, uh huh, and or they I, can share that with other people. That was tied to that announcement, so I'll have to okay. go reread the Pod News piece, right? But you know, I it, I think we just stop at the whatever they're doing, they're doing. But just the simple fact that they opted them in without asking them, it makes me, okay, so does, okay, so, okay, I'm going to get a little naughty here. Doesn't Art19 have good stats? So why would they need PodTrack stats? If Art19 has sufficient stats, why are they, why are they using, why have they added PodTrack? And does each of the podcasters then get an account at PodTrack to log in and see their data at PodTrack? That's the question, you know, or is all that data going to be underneath the Art19 mantra and those podcasters won't get access to it? So well, it's also even a bigger question, Todd, why is Art19 pushing that direction? Art19 is owned by Amazon, right? So does that mm. mean that, that there's there's an interest in, you know, is is Amazon going to buy PodTrack? Buy PodTrack, right? Oh, well, it does kind of raise that question. I don't have any inside information on that, but it's, if they're pointing everything over to there, you have to wonder. And that's like, well, there's only like what two industry, two or three um, kind of ranking charts now, right? Right. The, 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 there's the one done by Edison, and then the ones by Trident, and this one. Right. You know, we could put out a ranking chart. Uh, you know, I've eighty-five thousand shows. Has one now. Oh, really? They've got a ranking. That's true. Chart. They do. Yeah. For the, right. Yeah, top twenty-five. They do it around once a month. But they don't have stats. They only. They're not using a redirect. I don't. They do have stats. They do have the power of stats. I don't know how they're using that to incorporate into the top twenty-five, though. Yeah. yeah. And where they're getting that and data where is yeah. the question. Well, so, they have Podchaser Pro, which is pretty powerful. Well, I think that the, the maybe the, they are doing a redirect, Todd, and we just didn't know. Well, I'll have to go look. Yeah, yeah, they when they put out the Podchaser top twenty-five charts, they had a whole press release on where they're getting the data, what makes something chart. Um, it's pretty interesting. It's I want to say four or five months ago that they started this. But then again. I don't even remember that announcement and haven't even looked at that list. So yeah, I don't think, yeah. And the, I don't and, think it's taking off like they'd hoped. Yeah. The, um, the pod track list gets a lot of attention every month. You know, well, it, it was the first one, right? Right. It was the one that has been around the longest. And, and I had, you know, I teased Mark about that when they launched it. I'm like, Oh, I said, you, you know, you're not measuring everybody. And you know, yeah. he, he, they tried to keep that a little bit on the down low because they wanted to make it look like they were measuring everybody and they're not. So you know who else has one? Who else? Podcast magazine, but you submit it. You submit oh. the ones that you would like to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. I've okay. seen that ranking chart too. It's almost like yeah. a radio you know, cum chart. Yeah, it's like a hot one hundred. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, of the people who remember to submit. <laughs> so I think it's all our jobs in this space is just to keep educating, keep educating, keep educating, keep educating, and make podcasters that may listen to this show or others 
Um, but I don't know if other shows are talking about this topic, you know, so I, you know, yeah. And I think it's a, it's even a bigger topic than, than that. I mean, it's, it's something that when I was working at Spreaker, we wrestled with too, is, is public, um, disclosure of numbers, right. Um, of what downloads that a particular show or network has. And for, for the longest time, and I, I, the first couple of years I was working at Spreaker, those plays and downloads were public information. We, um, we released right. that media kit recently. And of course, some podcasters yeah. have been scrambling to do their, yeah. their customer sur- or listener surveys. So they have enough data to put one out, but we're watching the adoption of that. And, um, I'm pretty happy with the adoption, but again, we don't give, it's up to them if they want to share the link publicly. And, um, we caution, matter of fact, big cautions. If you put this on social media, it's going to get picked up by Google. It's going to get scraped. We don't hide it behind a password. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be found randomly unless they, unless someone drops it somewhere where it's going to get, uh, and then they have the ability to turn it off immediately if they want to, too. But so far the adoption on that has been really good. So I'm saying, based on what I'm saying, I expect probably 10 to 15% of our customers that have that turned down, turned on and up and running, you know, probably by the end of the month, based on what data we're seeing coming in. So, um, it makes sense to me that not everybody wants to have their data publicly available still. So 10 or 15% is kind of tracking around along the lines that I kind of thought it would be. Yeah, that, yeah, that I mean, makes like, sense. Like you say, Todd, that's not public disclosure of those numbers. No. Uh, but it could be, right? It, it could be. It, I mean, it is an opening there. Yep. But the big question is wh- wh- whether or not, I mean, as we think about Art19 doing this with PodTrack, PodTrack could take that data and bundle it up and it, it maybe sell that data, right? Um, I guess the question gets back to is do we as an industry want it? Because I think for years, and this is the direction that I encourage Spreaker to go, is to take the numbers off the site. Um, that I thought that, you know, it's one of those things that, I mean, you're proud of your numbers when the numbers are big, mm-hmm. but you're not proud of them when they're small. Mm-hmm. And I think we we want to encourage small shows to become big shows, and they may not um, if we public disclose. So I'm... You know, that's probably why we only show a top 20 on PodTrack is because all those networks are proud of their numbers, right? Yeah, I would assume so. And I, and I think that's a good, the, the mindset. It's, it's, it was just like an article that Tom, well, I think Tom wrote in, matter of fact, uh, let's see if I can uh, uh, get this ready here. I, I'm, I'm not prepared to, uh, to play a jingle. So, uh, but anyway, Tom Webster was talking about programmatic. And Mm -hmm. here we go. Tom Webster had a great point. Huh? Wait, what? That Mm -hmm. phrase makes me nervous. So this one doesn't. (laughs) He, he, he was, uh, talking about the, it's basically a lot of people don't want programmatic, but for small shows at this point, it it goes back to this analogy that I've been saying for a while. Matter of fact, probably since about 2005, if we get podcasters, money to take their partner to dinner if we earn help them make enough money to pay their hosting bill and and maybe some production work maybe we give them enough money to make car payment money then they they grow into their shows where they're making house payment life-changing money it's a bridge programmatic can be a bridge for those shows 
to get to that point and not quit and have a, some income coming in. And that's been my whole thing from the beginning. Why, when we started doing host reds back when no one was doing host reds and doing big wide deals, that those, even though those checks, some of those checks were $20 and $25 a month because we weren't sending PayPal, we we're sending everybody a paper check at the time. The, that amount, those shows that were earning money sustained, they stayed podcasting much, much longer. Matter of mm -hmm. fact, some of those shows are still podcasting today because they had two or three years of bridge money to get, and because and what it boiled down to, and I'm taking us way off topic here, but what it did is it said to, if they're single, well, I made some money. If they're married, see, this thing is not a waste of time. You know, see what I've done. I've earned a little bit. It, it cash is king. You know what we need is a uh, universal basic in income for new <laughs> podcasters. <laughs> well, <laughs> universal basic podcasting, income. you know, and, and even with programmatic, that's hard because some are not going to earn that much. And it, it's still, you know, it's going to be one of those things, but thank God programmatic is not the only way to make money, but well, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's a good I have that's programmatic a good enabled actually through Spreaker for my podcast about podcasts, but I mm -hmm. make way more money by the ads that I sell on my newsletter that I also offer the added bonus of having a host red ad on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, for new podcasters, and the thing is, the reason I think programmatic works so well for my audience is because most of the people who listen are obsessed with podcasts. So they know what programmatic ads are. If it is, I have listened to some other shows where programmatic ads, or at least the way that they are executed, does not make sense for the mm -hmm. audience that that podcast is trying to reach. It would be shocking to these new, relatively new podcast listeners, podcast listeners who aren't so familiar. They're not like I think Tom said this, Tom Webster said this at uh, Podcast Movement Evolutions, that the average, or Jen Sargent actually, right before Tom spoke, was that the average person listens to eight podcasts. I am probably quadruple that. But then there's, you know, there's people who listen to one or two podcasts. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to substitute their one or two? And um, if they're somebody who's listening to one or two podcasts, they probably are not so understanding of intrusive programmatic ads, but they need, they need to sort of be educated into that to understand why it's necessary for the host. I think too, is what our approach was, is a single 30 second pre-roll. And we excluded categories that are just going to make the majority of podcasters nervous. Later on, we'll give them the ability to turn those categories back on or turn other ones off. But, you know, again, we've been doing testing for three months and really my audience maybe wasn't the best audience for that because I was basically saying, if you hear something you don't like, please let me know. And, uh, and did they? No. Well, there was one ad that ran in Spanish and we went back to the vendor that we're integrating with and we said, hey, why did this run? And uh, they went back and looked and figured out that that, that particular buyer cheated and said the ad was in English and it was in Spanish. Whoa. So they got blocked. So th some of that's going to happen in programmatic. You just yeah. hope that you don't have someone drop something really bad in there that, that misses the, 
moderation that they're doing. So, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes and knock on wood, you know, um, it gets I, people paid. Hopefully it gets people paid and we will definitely, efficiently, yeah, without yeah. brand damage. Yeah. yeah. And, and we will definitely react, uh, because I, I told <laughs> the other team, I said, uh, I've got you on speed dial. And, you know, and don't worry. I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> so. Well, Todd, I do wonder if over time, though, the the concept of what's going on with programmatic, because we we have dynamic ad insertion, too, which is part of programmatic. So um, I guess the question gets back to is, will we always have um, host reads? Um, I think it's very likely that the baked in the content host reads will eventually go away, I, but and and I think we'll transition over to host reads that are dynamically inserted. Well, I think the, the most dominant. I think but, most are right now. Right. Most host reads are being dynamically inserted, but I well, I would be more and more are right, maybe right. we'll see how the time progresses. But there's no way I would entertain right now a mid roll programmatic ad insertion as an example i'm in michigan when i listen to one of my shows i got a dnr uh, and i got a covid i got two or three that were almost like public service announcements but they were they they made sense to go at the beginning of the show they would have made absolutely no sense to go as a mid it just would have it would not have made sense to have that ad as a mid so i think we're a long ways from effectively doing mids programmatically um well spreaker's been doing it since 20 what 18 i think um I think so. mids and uh, pre and post um i think it gets yes. back to creating your your content um to keep that in mind um that that you may want to establish insertion points in your content so i think it's but, a but if you don't have any control i i too. think i i think that yeah. You know, what's that experience been like? You get some ad that just, it just doesn't go with the flow of the show. It's one thing. Well, you to, have to, okay, there's kind of two, two ways of looking at this. You know, look, look at how YouTube does it, right? They'll just interrupt you mid-sentence. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> and and drop that ad. That's why there. I pay 18 bucks a month to not get ads on YouTube. Right, exactly. And then the other end of the spectrum is actually going in and setting those insertion points that are taking into account a pause or a segment transition um, is probably the ideal way. And I've, I've wondered about this too, f from the standpoint is that I think that the, um, the, was it the FTC is going to come crash down on this and say that there's going to have to be identification of that ad insertion point somehow in the it, at the beginning that this is a sponsor message and that that's going to have to be produced as part of the the um ad content but i think not, if the ad is if it's if you know it's an ad you know it's an ad there's no guessing no i realize that but but think back to what happened with google and sponsored links right yeah they google started doing this with putting um paid links in the search results, mm -hmm. right in the early days, and the FTC came in and said, "Sorry, you have to identify that as a sponsored link. You have to actually have that text above those links to identify that this is a paid link." Um, and and I think one of the challenges with the, the dynamic ad insertion stuff is that 
I think we would love to just have it just flow, right? So you have a transition between segments or you have a pause or something like that where you can set an insertion point that that dynamic insertion mid-roll can, can happen fairly seamlessly. Like, a, you know, this is commonly done in the online radio streaming side. It's been done for a long time, and I did it on my radio show for many years too. And and it's just where is that identification that this is an ad have to be placed? And this is an industry. This is a question. Some advertising networks will will say, "Well, you know, please support our sponsor," and then that message will start playing, right? And and then um, other people will just stop talking, and the ad will start playing. Right? Some people signify it by just a little right. sound. Yeah, you know, right? Or Sometimes tone, that's. That can, trigger an insertion yeah. point yeah. as well. Right. I just I, I think the if it doesn't if it doesn't sound like an ad and is an ad and needs to be identified as ads, but if Geico comes on Yeah, you don't have they, they and T V doesn't announce a Geico ad. You know. They they have a right, break but po- you have you have visual cues there to help you out. Well you're gonna have audio cues. So this is you know the the, right. the, the you know the you yeah. know Try Geico. Or I mean, but in theory, it could happen that the host red announcer ad, not sorry, uh, non host red, the announcer ad that plays for Geico could sound very similar to the host of a show one day. And that might be. Oh, that's true. The, the deep fake stuff could, yeah. Not yeah. even deep fake, just like it just so happens that oh. whoever they hire for the next round of Geico ads sounds like, sounds like the host. I don't know, mm. Joe Schmo. And, you know, and so it's up to the, I think it's up to the individual podcaster to decide where they're, you know, where they feel their compliance level is going to be. And if they're doing yep. mid-rolls, then they have to announce, all right, taking a break for a sponsor. Boom. And the mid-roll comes in or they bake that into the mid-roll ad that they're going to do. But if it's programmatic, you have to do it before because the programmatic ad's not going to say it. That's for sure. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, uh, at this point, we'll, we'll see how the pre goes. Uh, and then, I think, um, have you all heard of the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, GARM? Mm, I don't think so. One. I just learned about this because um, the next episode of the Sounds Profitable Ad Tech Applied podcast is going to be a conversation between Brian Barletta and Tamara Zubati from Barometer, which measures mm. or which helps um, advertisers and podcasters make sure that they're their connections are brand safe and brand suitable. And there's apparently levels that, um, you know, ads go through in order to make sure that they're going to be suitable for a show. It's low risk, high risk and extreme risk or something like that. Really, really interesting stuff. But, um, yeah, the, the GARM does a lot of these definitions and tries to figure out or tries to define in the next coming years, there's going to be more and more definitions when it comes to what do you need to say in order to delineate that it's a podcast ad coming up in the mid-roll. And I don't think that these things exist yet like they do for visual, right. but I think that is coming. And I think, too, is the DIA um, or DAI, excuse me, um, in the, the, the companies are, there are certain buyers of programmatic that require certain data mm-hmm. and some don't. Some of the higher ends where you get into higher CPMs, the transcript has to come along with the, um, with the initial media poll. And basically they can, they can scan the, the, the transcript 
and almost immediately give it a rating um, for the content. And it builds, uh, it builds uh, trust by the person that's actually doing that. Then other media buyers do not require the, the transcript to go along with the programmatic. So it really depends. I think over time, uh, we'll see how this, how this develops. But um, for now, uh, at least what we're seeing is I'm pretty pleased with the, with the results and, and the quality of the ads. Um, as we ramp that up, we'll see. Do we think that there's fewer people interested in starting a podcast just for the hobby or the fun of it? Um, no. And, and pretty much every person now wants to make a business with it? No, I think it's still, I think those number 50% of people don't, they don't, they don't want to have any monetization. They're there to do the I think show. a lot of people can't. Yeah. A lot of people know that with their jobs or whatever they do, mm-hmm. they can't have a side income. So a lot of people do just want to have fun with it. Um, but with that in mind, a lot of the people I have conversations with are people who are like, yeah, I really want to make a podcast and maybe it'll get monetized down the line. And right. you sort of know that they hope that that comes sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And, and I think that the premium subscription stuff is coming in more and more into the conversation now than ever before. Yeah. But again, I think the, the uphill battle with that is volume. You have to have volume to do that. It's a volume and you have to have a name too. It's really hard to get people to pay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. You have to have that, that volume is really. (sighs) Well, you have to build a community and have driven value to that community for a while to make that pay off, I think. Right. Yeah. But I think it's interesting, you know, and Todd, you, you said that word deep fake and that raised a, another idea in my mind about, is there a potential that we could see in the podcasting medium where these ads as a replacement for host read, uh, baked in that we start, um, cloning the host's voice and that's how the ads get generated. I think um, that's a very bad idea. I'm not letting anybody use my voice. De- replicated or not. I don't trust I don't trust anybody that that much. Well, Todd, have you played around with the Descript tool? Uh, I I fully am aware of it. We just <laughs> we just announced our Descript integration and I know that they have mm. it, you know, uh but right. but I I am in control of my Descript account. Yeah, have you gone over and created your your cloned voice? No, nope, I have not. I have not. I don't think he'll be doing that. No, nope. <laughs> but I, I don't. It, it it's my account. Did it's you, my log. Did you create a a voice profile? Over I have there? not. No, no. Uh, I'm not uh, against it. I just haven't done it. <laughs> you know, if if it's sir, I, I again, I don't edit. So for me, it's it's a it's a non need anyway. If I make a mistake, I live with it. Um. It, it, and some people are not, some people are not happy with that. And if they want to use that technology on an account they own where they control the profile and they control their, their voice. Okay. I'm fine with whatever, whatever they want to do with their stuff is fine with me. But I, as a company or a service provider, there is no way, there's no way that I'm going to be in the business of creating ads using a podcaster's voice. Not, not, nope, 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 not. Ariel, what do you think? 
about uh, deepfakes, about, the potential? Well, no, it, well, deepfakes is probably a negative reference to right, it. It's yeah. more like, <laughs> like uh, a podcaster creating their profile, right? Um, the, their voice profile, and then making that available to advertisers as part of a package um, to, um, to, to run ads on your show. To me, it sounds like a similar risk that you take on when you don't filter things out when you're taking on a programmatic advertiser. You have to have very stringent brands that you're interested in, or a very stringent list of shows that you are okay with working with, and then a much longer list of show of advertisers that you are not okay being associated with, I think is really right. the way to go about it. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I it's sort you. of similar. Yeah. Am I going to do a host red ad for anybody who pays me? No, um, no, not at all. Am I going to do a host red ad for the brands that I like? Yeah. So, um, but you're going to do I, the ad. You don't want the, the, the company to put that together for you. Well, what if they put well, it to together me for like, you, Todd, and they send it to you and say, well, are you okay with this? Right. Mm. Right. You, you, you get to sign off on that in theory. It doesn't mm -hmm. just, it, it doesn't it, just, if I get without. to sign off on it, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's how I was thinking about it. I'm thinking about, well, maybe it'll sound better than if I voice it myself, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah. They can get all the cadences and the nuances. I actually, um, somebody, you know how you can reply to a thread and either have it unroll or speechify or something like that. Right. So somebody speechified one of my tweet threads and I was like, wow, they got my cadence right on. And that wasn't on purpose. It was a robot. It was a male robot voice, but they got it all. They, uh, I think I capitalized what, like you have to know what <laughs> to do. And it, it said, what <laughs> it, it, it was the future's here. Well, it's, it's again, I will see where this leads, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's cause okay, what happens, what happens when some bad character takes your voice profile? Yeah. Well, I think that's why it's important as we think about even, even web 3.0 that everybody's talking about now, um, this may be part of that in concept, right? That you're going to own your avatar. Well, and that's, that's, uh, I'm at a point now Of course, there could be a leak. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, then well, all yeah, of a sudden I mean, your voice is, um, stomp stamp. Right. What's the word? Well, Something for something get, that you do not agree with. Yeah. Right. And as you get more valuable and more famous and more prominent, there's going to be more pressure on that to, that could happen. Right. There's companies out there now that are looking at technology where you would actually wear a device and you wear it every waking moment. It records every spoken word that you say. And it's put uh, in the book. It's, it's called Alexa, right? Well, no, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but it, Alexa. but it would be your, your voice and its commentary would be put in the blockchain. Uh, and yeah. that way, when something comes up and someone says there's a deep, and this is, you know, this is really conspiracy theory type of, uh, you know, politicians probably would want this if they were, you know, actually didn't say bad things. Um, but can you imagine having the ability to validate. Yeah. And if you said something wrong, well, you're still going to, it's going to go on the blockchain. So it's going to be in there, but it would be the ability to protect yourself to a certain extent. Now that's really out there. 
And I'm sure very few people would want to have everything they say, every, every utterance that they spoke to be put somewhere in the blockchain. But if you're really worried about it, that I think is coming. So, Especially if you have a deep catalog of audio, right? That goes back, you know, a couple of decades when culture was different back then. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, I think everyone has commentary that's out there from before that, right. you know, probably doesn't fit in mainstream thought today. Well, it's, it's, it's caught quite a few people, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, times change, but we'll see. Anyway, we've we've kind of dove dove off the deep end here a little bit. Um, <laughs> we never do that, Todd. No, okay. n- not at all. So, Rob, what what were the now that we have about thirty six minutes left? What was the two topics? Uh, what was would we want to get deep with on today? Well, I wanted to talk to Ariel about kind of how she sees um, the evolution of podcast promotion happening, and I know you've been monitoring. I would assume what. Tanner's been doing out there around trying to test various ways of buying your way to success of sorts. Um, but also your thoughts as you talk to podcasters out there about their efforts in growing their shows and Todd and I could, you know, learn some new tricks too. And we're definitely open, open to this. And that's, what's really fascinating about, um, some of the discussions that you've had on your, your Twitter feed is around, you know, kind of these, these, these newer ideas about how to promote your show that may not be like what most people perceive as, you know, just doing stuff on Twitter or something, which I think we all know it doesn't really work that well. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Yeah. It all started for me. Market podcast marketing thought all started for me when I was working at Castbox because I, I think my title was something like marketing and business development, but Mm -hmm. you know, titles are a load of BS. You know, what was I really doing? I was helping creators get their podcasts featured in, in Castbox. Some of them were doing the paid programs, but a lot of people of course were looking for free opportunities to be featured. And that got Mm -hmm. me thinking that the reason being featured in podcast listening apps is so successful for podcasters, you will see a spike is because that's where people are when they are primed to listen right then and there. When you're ready to listen to a podcast, you go to your podcast listening app of choice. If you have the podcast already right. picked out, you're going to go to your library. You're going to press play. You're going to enjoy it. Maybe you'll leave a comment. Maybe you'll further engage with that community. But if you don't know what you're going to listen to, you're going to scroll on the homepage and something's going to catch your eye. Maybe you'll hit play. You'll like it. And then you'll subscribe. And then you'll further engage with that community. Maybe you don't like it after the first 30 seconds and then you go back and you see something else that catches your eye. Um, So I thought about that from the lens of CastBox for a while. And then at Podcast Movement Evolutions in 2020, I did a presentation on how creators can work with podcast apps to grow their shows. So I I looked into CastBox, of course, which I knew because I was working there. Mm -hmm. Then I looked into Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And Mm -hmm. at the time, only Apple had a form where you can apply to be featured. Stitcher had not yet created theirs. Spotify had not yet created theirs. But of course, even then, if you apply to be featured on Apple, the likelihood of you being featured on Apple is not high. There's, they're receiving hundreds and hundreds of applications all the time. So, you know, there are ways to game the system, you know, to have an in with somebody there is a big thing, which is unfortunate. Um, You know, it's really not, yes, it's a meritocracy to a certain extent. Your show has to be good. But also, 
you got to know people and you got to be part of a network. And every once in a while, a smaller show is going to slip through. Somebody at Apple is going to give it a listen and like it. And it's hard to get their attention. But if you get their attention, that can be huge for your show. But part of my approach to podcast marketing is actually looking beyond podcast listening apps, because what happens when you get featured on a podcast app is that you're going to be shown to millions of people that don't know you and your show, they're going to hit play on your show and they could hate things about you that you don't even know to hate about yourself. And they're going to comment on those things and they're going to give you zero stars. And that can cause a big spike in your downloads and then some stress in your life because you now have 3.6 stars and people telling you something about your voice that you didn't know about. But more importantly, it's going to bring you, so I'm speaking from experience here. I got featured on Apple Podcasts in the summer of 2020 for one of my podcasts. Um, Really just randomly, I applied and they happened to like the cover art is my guess. It's cute cover art. Um, And then the show was funny enough. It was sort of pandemic related and the pandemic was raging at that time and everybody was stuck inside. We called it a pandemic distraction cast. So I think there was some element of newsiness to it. And we got featured and we went from having 2,000 downloads a month to having 18,000 downloads for two months. It was a lot. It was huge growth. And we went from five stars to, I think, 4.2 pretty quickly. And it did well for us in the sense that we got a lot of people reaching out to ask to advertise, a lot of people reaching out to ask to, to collaborate. But after those two months, it was back to, it was pretty much back to the normal listening back to about 2000 downloads per episode, a few more here and there. And we would hear from a few more people who definitely found us by way of being featured on Apple podcasts. So that was definitely interesting. And mm-hmm. I do not count out podcast being featured on podcast listening apps. I think it's important. I think it needs to be part of your strategy is to pitch to all the different podcast listening apps. And, um, there are ways to, optimize your potential of being featured. Um, and we can go into that at another time or later, but what I really like to tell people to focus on if they want to get sustained growth for their show is collaborations with other podcasts that make sense. And I am not, you know, reinventing the wheel here. Like you've heard Mm -hmm. of these words before. These are all things that you know about. Um, you collaborate with other shows all the time, just by way of the fact that one of you works at Libsyn and one of you works at Blueberry. There are going to be different audiences here that mm-hmm. appreciate both of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, having me on your show potentially brings in some other people that are interested in hearing me on your show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's lots of different collaborative methods. So the first thing that I do when I start working with a show is I was actually, let's give the example of the people I was talking with today. Um, I was hired to help Baltimore Community College they got a grant to make a podcast about the stigma of community college. It's going to be a really interesting show. They're calling it Good School, uh, which I think is a great name because you often hear, oh, are they going to a good school? And community colleges, unfortunately, are not seen as quote unquote good schools, which is unfortunate because you can go to a community college and transfer to a four year. That's right. Pay so much less money and get a great education as well. Anyway, best strategy ever. What I did. Best strategy (laughs) ever. Yep. So you can, um, so they have this podcast that they're working on right now and they hired me to do a few sessions of, um, podcast marketing help with them. And today was their last session. And we focused on building a list 
and working on pitch letters because their first season is going to have seven episodes. I recommended that they have seven cross promos set up before their season even goes live. So that means finding shows in their niche that they should collaborate with in some way. And the niches that we broke down are Baltimore-related shows, college-related shows, community college-related shows, and then miscellaneous, um, you know, other sorts of things that might make sense along the way. And I'll explain that. So what we did was we went to refonic.com, which is a pretty powerful data website that just has a lot of information about a lot of different podcasts. And if you pay for it, you can get advanced statistics. Are they active? Do they take guests? Here's some contact information. Here's how to pitch them, that kind of thing. Um, but they have a free, a, a free approach, which is refonic.com slash graph. And you can type in any podcast that you want. And it shows you a graph of the shows that are related to that show. And that's how you can go about finding shows to collaborate with. So we found some really great show opportunities, some matches, and we then filled out our spreadsheet. So name of the show, um, name of the contact person at the show, whether that's the host or the producer, whoever you can find contact information, um, what you want to do with them. So do you want to do a promo swap? Do you want to do a feed swap? Do you want to do a feed drop? Do you want to be a guest on their show? Do you want to have them as a guest on your show? Do you want to do some sort of creative segment integration? Or do you want to do something else that we haven't even thought of right now that just might make sense because you're going to do your due diligence, listen to their show and see how you can plug mm -hmm. into it. So yeah. my recommendation is to make a list of, this is going to sound like a lot, but this is going to last you a long time, 50 to 75 shows that make sense in your niche, figure out how you want to collaborate with them and start pitching them individually. And mm -hmm. that means that over time, you're going to build up an arsenal of yes, on your show, you're going to do some host red ads for these shows, but uh, these other shows are going to do the same for you. And you can test out those host red ads and you can see this show did really well for us. Let's really just focus on shows like that. So maybe only Baltimore shows are performing. Let's go with Baltimore. Let's cut out the school and the community college vertical that we were focusing on and only go to Baltimore shows. So, of course, there's a lot within this, but I've been talking for a while, so I'll let you talk. Okay. You know, the, the challenge, I, you know, <laughs> just, idea. you know, if someone comes to me and says, I'm doing a short series, will you collaborate with me? I, I don't want to waste my audience's time because that's just a, like a one and done you know, I, I have, I have huge, huge, I, I see the numbers and, you know, very, very, very few, very few, few shows have success in doing a short series and not having a sustained. Oh, I see a short series. Yeah. 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 I think you're right about that. Uh, you mean a show, short series as opposed to an always on show. It's interesting yeah. because short series are in some ways easier to market because it's launching now and running for six weeks only. So you got to get in while the, while the getting's hot mm -hmm. and, um, you know, maybe we can get some press around that. Like this seven episode series that this community college is going to do, um, they'll probably get some local press. They might even get right. some state press and maybe national press because that it's an interesting, um, approach that they're taking. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I see what you mean. It, it, it can be really, really hard to, um, you know, but then once again, that show gets out there, go ahead. And then again, I guess if you're in that niche as long as you pick the right show to pitch yeah. and they like the content, you know, I think, you know, getting that host endorsement of that show is, is, is hugely valuable. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, people tend to listen to many podcasts. We, we talked about this before. And if you're the average person who listens to eight podcasts, good chance that some of those podcasts are series and that series is going to end and you'll be looking for your next series to check out. And if you get hit with the right host red ad at the right time, you're golden. Yeah. I get, uh, my famous statement that makes a lot of people mad is, uh, season one ends on Friday. Season two begins the following Monday. Right. <laughs> well, actually, I listened to a podcast that um, yeah. I listened to a podcast called The Daily Zeitgeist. And every day they say, welcome to t- season 264, episode one. <laughs> and every week is a different season. I'm not kidding. That's well, funny. I mean, it can have and it was like an exciting market. day when they hit 200. When right, it was like right, an even. Right. <laughs> you can have some marketing punch. Yeah, create, you can. Like a short series. Um, but it's not going to build community. It's not going to. You know, that it depends on what the goals are, what you're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, that's the, the truth, series, too. It's right? the goal of the show. Right. Right, right. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, it also depends on if you have funding. Like this uh, this show, for example, has funding to make, I don't know if it's a season or if it's two seasons, but it also can be evergreen, a show like this. You know, right now, you the, the three of us are talking about news in the podcast right, space. Right. It's not going to be relevant in two no. weeks. Community college, the stigma about that is unfortunately very relevant. And that college can use that show to share the amazing projects that the students are working on. That can be used for a really long time. And if you really need, you can always come back with a new season. You could also put on new um, pre-roll ads. Hey, we recorded this in 2022, but it's still relevant. You know, things like that. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to do that evergreen, right. You know, and it takes good pre-planning and some do it, some do it real well. I interviewed a gal yesterday that has taken two years off and, and she's getting ready to relaunch her show because of podcast movement. And so I really wanted to discuss with her, okay, you've been off two years, (laughs) you know, are people still listening to your show and what's the feedback you're getting? And she says that her fans are actually listening to old episodes because they miss her. And I was like, wow. oh, so you, 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 you're gold. You're good. You're going to be able to pick up and, and, and move along just like, you know, like nothing happened, but not every show can say that. So there are instances where, you know, podcasters are missed and their audience are just waiting for them to come back. Well, I'll tell you this. I was telling you before about my podcast that I started during the pandemic. It was a pandemic distraction cast. Uh, it's called counter programming. And each episode was about a different type of count or countertop, anything with the word counter, countertop <laughs> counted. The idea was that it was counter to the COVID-19 news. Okay. <laughs> and we did a series on countertops, literally granite, marble, steel, and wood. And then we went on to count Chocula and count Dracula. And <laughs> did you know that the, the drink Negroni is actually invented maybe by a guy named Count Negroni? So we did all of this and um, it was really, really interesting. We still, we shut the podcast off more than a year ago. We still get 200 downloads a week. We don't know why. We don't know where they're coming from. We never hear from them. They never leave reviews, but they're not people who are auto downloading because we haven't uploaded an episode. So I don't get it, <laughs> but it happens. We could monetize so where are that. You getting, like, it's just, uh, yeah. So where are you getting most of your downloads coming from? What, what that's platform? a great question. And I have not looked at the stats in a not while, sure. but I should check. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, and it's not impossible, you know, so I'm just, you know, you look at the overarching 
larger community, there's always use cases where, you know, someone is going to defy the odds and do well and have these, this long tail content that maybe wasn't designed to be long tail. And, but some people really plan long tail and they don't get long tail. So it's, you know, it can work both ways too. So, but I, I agree there is, you know, it's just like, you're talking about different ways to grow a show. And I think for a while, there's two, three years ago, I was before COVID, I was doing a presentation. There was like 13 things on the list and it was really like 13 of 30, you know, it was like the 13 top things, but there's just so much you can do. There's uh, so much you can do, but there's, and there's no silver bullet. No, no silver bullet. Well, that's the thing. Like if you asked me two years ago, I would have said the silver bullet to podcast marketing is getting featured on Apple podcasts. And I have heard, and, and I still think you should try to get featured on Apple podcasts. You should try to get featured on Spotify. You should try to get featured on Stitcher, good pods, cast box, pocket cast, all of them at the same time though. My latest theory is that you should try to be everywhere all the time, especially at your launch, because then it is undeniable for people who are seeing your podcast cover art over and over again mm -hmm. that they've got to check out your show. Clearly something's going on. Clearly somebody's liking it in order to be featuring it. So we've got to check it out. But, but yeah, there's, there's absolutely no silver bullet. And all of those things cause spikes. The thing that causes long-term steady growth is finding the right partners over time. And I think what frustrates people about that is that making a list of 75 to 100 shows takes a lot of time. Reaching out to those 75 to 100 shows takes a lot of time. Actually creating those partnerships will take you a lot of time, but it will be worth it if you're in it for the long game. And um, I yeah, I mean, the original question you asked me was like, what, what is podcast marketing now? And it's a combination of all of these things. And the reason that that's the case is because we need more podcast listeners. We, there are a lot of people listening to podcasts, but ultimately we need to find a way to bring more people in. Um, I'm listening to 40, 50 hours of podcasts a week. I can't take in, I can't take on anymore. I need other people to come help me shoulder this burden. <laughs> I, I, I do have a, you can't do it all Ariel. I, I do have every podcast. I do have right? a confession to make. You don't listen to podcasts, Todd, don't you? I've never listened to a featured podcast ever. Oh, wow. But there's a different reason for it. I listen to, on a rotating basis, every two weeks, about 100 shows. So Just you try out new ones all the time? I don't, I have a system to review shows. And it's my own little thing that I do. And I don't, I don't often listen to the whole show. I'll listen to 10 or 15 minutes of a show. And if it's, and I have a, repertoire. I have a spreadsheet of notes that goes back years of podcasts that I've listened to. Um, and it, it's, it's, I've, it's, I've worked a system for myself on, you know, this shows, let's reach out to the show or let's, you know, let's, let's, you know, cause I've, you know, there's, there's ways to, you know, if a show is going to be, be good or not, if they, it really, it, it, it takes a while to, after you've listened to so many, to know if someone's really going to be connecting and engaging audiences. So, I guess that's my way of reviewing shows. I don't ever listen to mm. featured. I have. So I don't really use the Apple podcast app. When I started working for Castbox, I actually at podcast movement 2017 met Castbox and pretty much used them for four and a half years after that, even though I didn't start working for them until 2019. I was just like, sure. Honestly, the truth is they gave away good swag <laughs> and I was, I, I was, uh, you know, I was struck by that and I downloaded the app right then and there and never stopped. Actually, to be fair, they have a really robust search engine because they transcribe or they did at the time. I'm not really sure if they still do. So if you search any phrase, you can then 
highlight if you want to have that phrase searched on um, an episode, a network, a podcast, and you can find anything with that phrase. In See, it. they should awesome. advertise that a little bit. I didn't even know. I know. That. I know. It's really, really smart. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. So I used CastBox for a really long time. But in the past year, I want to say I've been playing around with Pocket Casts, Good Pods, Stitcher, Spotify, but really just because I want to know what the experience is of people who are listening to podcasts who are not podcast obsessive. So if my friend sends me a podcast to listen to and she sends it to me on Spotify, I'll listen on that link just to get the sense of what that's like. Um, and that's when I decided to experiment with like what, Oh, we got a boost. We got a that's boost. Fun. Thank you. <laughs> hey, wow. um, 10,000 sats from Adam Curry. Boosting for wow. double-headed mics. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I moved mine a little bit. You did. But, um, You're out of alignment now. Ariel. I had to okay. because I realized I wasn't actually in the center of my frame. <laughs> anyway, uh, I I think what I was going to say was that podcast. Okay. So I decided I wanted to go on Apple Podcasts New and Noteworthy and listen at least to one episode of every podcast on New and Noteworthy to see why it was chosen as New and Noteworthy. And what I did find is that most of them are special in some way. Most of them either have really great sound quality or the story is really unique. None of them I was like, wow, this is bad and the sound quality <laughs> is bad. So there's clearly, you know, there's something right, to it. There right. are real people curating these lists. Oh, yeah. And I know that for sure because yeah. I've met a bunch yeah. of them. I yeah. used to think, though, that it was completely algorithmic or, you know, just like chosen based on. Yeah. And and this these are the misconceptions that we have when we get into the podcast space at first. <laughs> we need to be educated. Yeah, there's been so much uh, fodder about new and new and noteworthy, but it's always been a human curated list of and, shows. And it's just like reviews. Be honest with you, I have not looked at any of our reviews in no. five years. I don't even know if we had reviews. So someone can tell me. If I feel like you'd be notified. Show. There's so yeah. many um, places out there that notify you when yeah. you get a review. Well, we haven't been notified, so I don't think we've gotten any reviews. <laughs> Review us right now, everybody. <laughs> Say hi. Ariel, you've also, uh, I think it was, I think it was you that talked about this, talked about, um, the just explosion of, um, podcast newsletters that are going on. I'm not, and I'm not necessarily talking about newsletters that a podcast does to support their show, though. That's, that's another strategy, but I'm talking about industry newsletters, uh, trying to yes. work with them to drive promotion at your show. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, newsletters. I, I read a ton of newsletters. Pretty much if I go to your website and there's mm -hmm. a pop-up that's like, learn more about our podcast, I'll be like, yep, I am subscribed. Thank you so much. I don't care that it's a pop-up. I don't care that that's invasive. I want to know what you're up to. <laughs> and I'm just um, the opposite. You do a pop-up on me when I come to your website. When, you're first, when I'm first there, I I'm yeah, out. I, I leave. That. I mean, it depends to, on, to me on how ugly the button is. That's a big part of it. Is like it's <laughs> got to look. It's it usually the big thing that comes right up the middle. And I said, I've been on your website five seconds. I don't know who yeah. you are, what your show's about, nothing, uh, and you want me to subscribe to your newsletter. Close the tab. Yeah, and yeah. some of them. And then I definitely also get subscribed to, to opt out. Oh, you get subscribed too. I get. I'm unsubscribing to a dozen a week. Yeah, yeah. I get subscribed to a ton without asking, yeah, which is me too. illegal. <laughs> um. Okay. So yes, I'm a big fan of podcast newsletters, both industry newsletter and recommendation newsletters. The reason I love recommendation newsletters is because I'm always looking for new things to listen to. And also it gives me a good sense of what is trending, who, who is pitching to newsletters. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, 
if I see a podcast in five different newsletters in the span of a month, I'm going to be like, oh, clearly people are liking this. I've got to give it a try. So big fan of industry uh, recommendation newsletters, but then also industry newsletters like Sky Pillsbury's newsletter. There's, you know, James Cridlin's newsletter. There's, I'm even talking about branded newsletters like the Squ Squadcast has a newsletter. Resonate Recordings has a newsletter. Buzzsprout yeah. has a newsletter. Most one. companies have a newsletter. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of those places will have opportunities for you to be featured. Like in the squad, the squadcast newsletter, we, um, we feature a squad shot. So if you use squadcast to record your podcast, we, and you, you press the button to take a screenshot while you're recording your podcast and then you submit it to us, we will feature you and include a backlink. You know, it's just, it's that easy sometimes to, to mm -hmm. get featured. Um, we also, for a while, we're doing Squadcast of the Week recorded on Squadcast. So our podcast of the week recorded on Squadcast. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much companies want to show off people that are happy with their product. Right. Sometimes it can be that easy. Resonate Recordings yeah. right now has a form where you can apply to be podcaster of the month. And they do an interview. For, they, they, uh, they do an interview with you. Yeah, we podcast do that every bestie. month, too. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you would love for people to pitch rather than you having to go out and do it yourself and find them. So like do Oops, that. And, and too, if it yeah. doesn't exist, pitch them on it, you know? And, and you know, uh, you just, really you just said something there. You would be amazed how many don't pitch and we have to go I know, dig. I'm telling you, and no one's, people don't realize how easy it is. And then sometimes when people pitch, they hit the month. Let's, let's say, cause we kind of follow the themes of stuff that's going on black history month, all these different theme months. <laughs> It's a perfect opportunity to be featured. Perfect opportunity. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I also want to make a call out for the fact that please be nice to people behind customer support positions. I, I'm right now fighting with somebody on the Squadcast Twitter because they people love to fight and, and assume the worst. And it's like, I want you. To, it, it actually behooves me if you succeed. So, OK, anyway. Bad. <laughs> okay, here I am. You know, here's here's the deal. I've said for a long, long time that my customer support team are angels because if I had to do customer support, we'd have no customers left. <laughs> so because, because, you know, I, I it, it, it'd be like, I would say the absolute most inappropriate thing. So it's better. <laughs> you, you would never do that. It's... Believe me, it, it, what we're Ariel's probably already experienced it, but we have people that don't know how to right click a mouse. Oh, you mean that little wheel on the mouse that makes the screen go up and down? Um, I, I'm sorry, right, and, and how much education can you do? You know, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. We're starting office hours at Squadcast, which I think will be really interesting. I've been learning a lot lately about customer success. Um, one of my friends works in, in a customer success role at Hopin, which is the virtual events platform. And she's sort of been teaching me about, you know, like in order to make your product successful for customers, they need to know how to use your product. Right. And yeah, so we're starting these office hours and I think it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, who attends because I think it's going to be split between people who are new and then people who have been with the product for a long time, but want to learn what's the most efficient way of using it. But anyway, this is, this is an aside. Yeah. Um, we podcast marketing. <laughs> what we find is that on the office hours things is that we do a specific office office hours for people that are 45, a, a new customer within the last 45 days. And really 
I won't tell the strategy of what we're using, but it's basically, well, we're there to help them get started. And yeah, that's yeah. just a simple thing. If they're, you know, help them along, if they've got questions. And uh, it's it's interesting. It's made me realize um, we had one yesterday and the content creator came on. He's, you know, he's brand new and not really knowing what he's going to do. And we talked about actual, you know, how you structure to get your show ready to go and record. And, you know, it wasn't even about the tech. It was about, you know, the process of creating a show. So some people want to know, do a podcast, but they really don't have those fundamental things that they, they want, you know, and they don't necessarily want to spend three, four, five hours either going through an educational course, but some do. Some want to eat all that up. Right, right. One of, one of the things I'm trying to work on is I, my brain works in, in computer tabs. So I feel like we just opened a bunch of different computer tabs and we forgot to close them. So if, if anybody remembers where we were a few tabs ago, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, we were, uh, we were talking about uh, growing your show and Rob, there were some other yeah. topics you had too. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to also, uh, oh, newsletters. Talk about squadcast and what's, uh, new with them. Um, I, I feel like, um, does Squadcast add the ability to to live stream to YouTube, or is that not been, not yet? But we're thinking about it. We're we're very much, um, you know, if you bring it up to us enough times and enough people say it, then we'll consider it. I know some stuff Squadcast so, is going to do, but I'm signed an NDA, so I can't talk about it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, let me just close the loop. Let me close the tab on podcast newsletters. A okay, lot of different podcast newsletters either have direct avenues or indirect avenues for you to pitch to be featured. So James Cridlin, for example, makes it pretty clear about how to get featured in his newsletter. You either need to do something newsy or you need to pitch to his um, to be featured in the podcast section. So if you have a new season coming out or a new show launching, you can pitch for that to be included in his podcast section. And all you need to do in order to find out how to do that is Google, like go to his website and look at press releases and he'll tell you exactly what to include in your press release. Sometimes it's that easy. People are like, Oh, how do I get featured? How do I get featured? Just read, just click on a bunch of things and read podcast. Bestie, um, is a new ish newsletter from Courtney Kosak. It's a great newsletter often features interviews with people in the podcast space and then some sections with information. And in order to get featured, you could either pitch her directly or she has a, a link where you can apply to be featured in some way or to feature a podcast that you love. And when you do that, you can include your own podcast. My newsletter, Earbuds Podcast Collective, is curated each week by a different person and anybody can curate a list. I'm very open about that. And in order to curate a list, all you have to do is tell me that you want to curate a list. It's not a big secret. It's not like a cabal of people who get to curate a list. <laughs> Literally anybody can do it. And... Um, I think that's great. And I think that's just a principle to, you know, to, to abide by in the podcast space is like, if it doesn't exist, ask if it exists and uh, do it nicely. But before you do it, you should uh, subscribe to these newsletters, get a sense of what they tend to feature, get a sense of how they like to write. If it seems like somebody tends to feature fiction podcasts and you have a fiction podcast, great. If they tend to feature fiction podcasts and you're not a fiction podcast, maybe you can say, I love your fiction podcast. I have something that is not fiction. Maybe you'd be interested in going in a different direction. There's so many ways to do it lightly and gently that is not overwhelming and that is not rude. <laughs> so I, I just think err on the side of not rude. 
and yeah, and 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 I'll reiterate: t- t- uh, treat your customer service representatives nicely. Yes. <laughs> treat anybody that you email nicely. It's yeah. just easy. It's just um, there's no reason to be mean on the internet. I know I, it's easy. The, the example no I use is when you go fly, and you lose your suitcase. An airline loses your suitcase. Of course, internally you're raging because all your clothes, your toiletries, everything's in your suitcase. So the initial reaction is you want to go into the baggage support area and yell at the baggage support person. No, that's when you want to come in with a bag of candy, literally, and say, my bag is lost. You know, and almost, you know, a lot of sugar goes a long ways when you are, even though you might be raging, <laughs> to be nice, it really works. <laughs> and I've lost bags over the years and I'd be, I'm raging, but I'm very nice because it's not their fault. And amazingly, my bag is always seems to be found very, very quickly because if you make the person feel special, they're going to help you. So even though you're You know mad- <laughs> what? Sort of on this uh, principle. I for I live in New York City, but my parents live in the suburbs. And every time I go home, they're like, do you want to take one of our cars back into the city? Um, You know, that's fine if you want to have a car there. And I'm like, no, I do not want to have a car there because I am terrified of parking. And then I have some friends who live in the city who do have cars because they're not terrified of parking. Do you know why? No, go ahead. It's because Mm -hmm. it's because people that are not scared of finding parking spots, always find parking spots. People that are scared of finding parking spots never find parking spots. It's just a life principle. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably true. Because they never look, right? Um, before we go, Ariel, why don't you tell us about earbuds, what you're doing over there and how, how folks can participate and um, boost you. Sure. Yeah. I started a podcast recommendation newsletter five and a half years ago because I really wanted to work in the podcast space, but did not have production experience, did not really have that much experience on the business side of things, but was obsessed with podcasts and wanted to listen to more podcasts. So started this newsletter. And the way it works is that each week is curated by a different person. Anyone can curate a list. And all you have to do is find five podcast episodes on a theme that you choose, pitch it to me, and then we'll get it up in the newsletter. And um, the newsletter goes out every single Sunday. And along with it is a podcast. So it's a podcast. uh, It's a newsletter about podcasts and then a podcast about podcasts. And on the podcast, I feature the curator of the week. They tell us about their podcast picks. And then I share some more podcast industry news. And like I said before, you can pitch to be featured in the newsletter or you can just enjoy it from a listener perspective. But I also share industry news. I'm aligned with James Cridland at Pod News. We're going to be doing some some more integrations in the coming months. But uh, it, it the newsletter absolutely kickstarted my career in podcasting. And um, I've used it to get every single job that I've gotten along the way. And um, it's been really fun because it has evolved and I've learned a lot about email marketing. I've learned a lot about podcasting. I've learned a lot about copywriting and yeah, I'm just, I'm a big fan of what I've built at earbuds. And, um, now I'm in the position where I can actually employ people to work at earbuds with me. So that's been really great as a way to help people get into the podcast space as well. Awesome. So just so we all totally understand what you're doing there, it's uh, five episodes according to a theme that's curated by a different person each week. Now, does that go into the 
earbuds podcast uh, feed yes. itself, or is that a separate feed? That oh, that? good question. So I have played around with, um, doing snippets of the recommended podcast on my podcast, but Got no, it. I don't feature, I don't like ahead of time, go to them and say, Hey, can we feature it? The podcast is essentially me at the top of the show doing some host red ads that I try to make a little mm. bit more fun. Um, and then we go into the show. I talk a little bit about that week's theme. Then we go into a voice clip from the curator who says this week's theme is this, um, here's episode one, here's episode two, they go through it. And then, um, we do a podcast spotlight and we share some podcast industry news and then we close it out. Okay. So the five episodes, uh, is accessible through what pathway? I mean, how does that work? If you go to earbuds.audio and then click on mm-hmm. listen now. Okay. Oh, Okay. Rob, I want to follow up on one thing from a couple of shows ago. We were talking about the active number of podcasts that basically the number of new episodes during the last three, 10, 30 days. Yeah. So I was listening to the podcast 2.0 show. And if you're not subscribed to that, please get subscribed to that. That's where you're going to listen about what's really happening new in the podcasting space as far as the tech side um, and what were the innovation going on there. The They had a Dave Jones on his cloud of machines that accepts uh, uh n- basically it's their pod ping slash new episode you know generator or whatever it is they had a little bit of an outage so i was watching i didn't know and i i had an opportunity to ask dave this recently but i didn't ask him but i'm looking again today they've had that all back up online it's been online working two weeks so the numbers should have shifted here if that had been an anomaly that was created in the index, but I don't think so because three days, 105,000, 10 days, 224, 30 days, 323, 60 days, 403, and 90 days, 464,000. So the same. it's the number of new episodes being created is down dramatically by huge numbers. Um, Huge, huge decline in new episodes being produced. So you're talking about the three day number? Is that what you're talking I'm talking about? about well, the three days one hundred five, tw- ten days two twenty four, right. and this is and thousand. Then, uh, and then the thirty day number is what's three three twenty three, three twenty three, and uh, sixty day is four hundred three. These numbers were in the six hundred seventy, almost seven hundred thousand at some point. So um, here's the good news: it could be because of the summer. You know, I would say that ten years ago. But mm. for the last five years, the summer has been pretty steady. Now, there could be an anomaly this summer because we've been locked up for two years. And yeah. finally, people have got a break. So maybe there's a dip, but I'm yeah, but not. It's off, off even at the 60-day Yeah, um, this is 90-day mark. It's, it's way off. So something is afoot. I'm not seeing it in numbers at Blueberry. We're watching our... I pulled um, July's numbers for is what we measured in July and it's within like one or 2% of what I expected it to be. So I I would imagine Todd, and this is just speculation on my part that, that the majority of this decline is probably, I would consider to be newer shows. Well, they've also set some criteria over there on, on filtering, on filtering for specifically for anchor shows. So the anchor shows have been, if they haven't, they, they take a certain criteria just to be in the index now. 
Yeah, and Spotify is continuing to report that they have 4.4 million yeah, shows. Yeah, whatever. So that tells you right there that there's a 300,000 difference. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's not the total. Now, they did clean the index up and got it down from 4.7 to 4 million. But still, it's about the last, it's about the published in the last days. This is the number I'm watching. I could care less about the 4 million number, to be honest with you. Right, it's I, the other number. It's the other number that I'm watching. Right. Right. So it is. Uh, it is. So are you calming down your uh, your your Twitter person that's upset? Ariel, <laughs> are you having any luck? It's the kind of situation where I think they're baiting me, but I'm just I'm. You know what I call it? Actually, I'm trying to put on my Tom Webster face, which is like stoic. He's so good at not showing one way or the other. He's very calm. I'm trying to be more like Tom Webster in that way. <laughs> well. Though he has gotten a little bit more animated since his move to Sounds Profitable. That's true. Don't eat me, Tom Webster. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was always kind of uh, lingering inside of him, but I think working for Edison kind of tampered it a little bit. So I am going to make a pitch here to those of you listening to the show. Um, I'm going to put a challenge out. I want you to listen to this episode of course, you're already listening to this episode. Duh. The next episode, I want you to go download the Fountain app. And I want you to listen. I have it, actually. And I want I you like to it. listen to this show on the Fountain app and earn some sats. And then feel free to boost those back to us or another show that you want. Uh, you'll earn some by listening. Not a lot, but some. And, uh, you know, it's it's a good way to support us. I think 50,000 Satoshis is about 10 bucks. So, um, if you, if you submit a thousand Satoshis, it's like, give them someone a dollar. Is it, I, if I think if the math's right with the current, uh, um, the current Bitcoin exchange rate. So, um, you know, so it's not like you're going to be, you know, donating millions of dollars. Now, if you want to, Rob and I will be happy to take a, a donation like that. Absolutely. If you want to give us a whole Bitcoin, we're good, you know? So, Todd, does this mean that this show is now aligned with the blockchain, or do we still need no, to add that? No, we're component not. To this? We're we're not lit yet, and it's the reason we're not lit is largely. And those of you who don't understand that, then sorry, you're gonna have to go listen to the podcast 2.0 show. Those of you that it, we're not lit because, or, or your nearby crypto show, right? we're we're not lit because I've been slammed. We've got four major, actually five major announcements, and I got three left before podcast movement. So. We announced the Descript integration and the Pod Rocket educational integration, and the big ones are yet to come. So, uh, a matter of fact, one of them, Rob, I showed to Adam. So Adam has actually gotten to see one of the things that we're we're releasing. So, um, yeah, I keep. So Todd, I, is it uh, is it reasonable to say that the crypto blockchain um, world is coming to podcasting? Soon? Not from Blueberry until later. Ah, until later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't think he would tell us the truth on this. Anyway. Well, no, I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's the podcast. There's a, there's a whole, so we, we're already over time and area. If you have to go, it's okay. But the whole litany of stuff in podcast 2.0 is extensive. And some of the stuff is for specific people. Some stuff is, you know, you have, you're going to have to choose and pick what you implement. Um, I think that there is some low hanging fruit within the podcast 2.0 stuff. This should be relatively simple to implement. 
the and getting the adoption then we just gotta you know keep working on that but um you know there's some stuff i have in my you know my planning list that we're going to execute on and you know it's going into the planning just like anything else does and matter of fact uh well we've we've made you know this meeting we had last week we laid out what we're doing for the next six months so uh, without revealing uh, you know we there's stuff in there that we're going to do and uh, some of that podcast 2.0 stuff is in there that we're going to do and i'm not going to say what but um we're going to do it but i think as host it's the onus are back on us buzzsprout has embraced this rss.com has embraced this so it's us as hosts to at least, you know, we, I, I had a little bit of a mind change. The idea was um, I can build for the 97% or I can build for the 3% and teach the 97% why this is important. Mm -hmm. So my perspective now is we're going to have to drive some of the adoption even if it's for a small number of people initially to help the greater good and expanding and we have to do our part um, if we're going to, if we're going to buy into this mm -hmm. and we're going to support it. So, um, so my, I've had a little bit of a, again, it's, you know, I, you know, months ago I'm thinking, why would I build this? Because it's only for 3% of users. It's, it's, it's not going to drive revenue. Cause it's always based on revenue, right? Got to, got to drive something, to drive revenue. Well, it's you bigger drive what you believe in. It's, it's bigger than revenue, yeah. right? It's bigger than revenue. So, yeah. I mean, if we drove everything based on revenue, the podcasting space wouldn't exist. So, True. right. Oh, Todd, before we go, I wanted to mention, um, the show's going to be live at podcast movement yep. coming up on Whoa. Friday, August 26th, uh, live on the main keynote stage. And we've got quite a lineup. I've, I've added another guest to our lineup and Todd, you've probably seen it. Anyway. Yep. We added, uh, Heather Osgood, who's with true native media. She's going to join Good us on stage move. as well. Um, so we're going to have a crowd. There's going to be six of us. There's going to be six of us on, on stage at this. So if you're going to podcast movement, uh, stick around till Friday. Uh, there's a lot of people that kind of take off on Thursday. I, I I'm finding, um, and that that's not unusual, but, uh, there's a lot of good networking that goes on at podcast movement on the final day. So, and there's a lot of terrific sessions going on as well. So we're just going to have to tell our panelists now to, they're going to have to speak in two times. <laughs> so we're most of us are at one time speed people are walking out the door they, they have to speak we're going to have to speak in two times because if we're going to have six people on the show we're going to have to get through all this very very quickly <laughs> right exactly well fortunately we've got an hour and 15 minutes that's so with that's, six people that's 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 we need three hours <laughs> oh, yeah well that's that's a good point so we'll have to keep the topics very very narrowed tight. narrow yeah right. Because yes. we're, we have some talkers on, on this. <laughs> we've got Adam Curry. We've got James Cridlin. We've got right. Heather. Uh, you know, so all, all in their own right could carry an, a 90-minute show <laughs> by themselves. Everybody's a podcaster, too. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Gia Estrada is a podcaster, too. So yeah, I, I missed a couple of people. Sorry. That's okay. And 
and Heather is a podcaster. She does a lot of stuff uh, on LinkedIn, which is yeah. a great place to be doing doing content these days. And actually, Heather, thanks for reaching out. We're we're glad that uh, you let us know about your availability. We appreciate that. And if you're yeah. if, if you're listening from a competing company or you have something cool you want to announce, remember Rob and I are happy to have you on. Everyone gets right. treated with respect, and uh, you know we have a good time here. So uh, feel free to to hit us up, but, um, thank you, Ariel. Um, before we go, uh, what's the best way for listeners here to reach out to you and connect with you? If you Google my name, which is Ariel Nissenblatt, you will find me because yeah. there is nobody else with my name. Right. Right. You're yeah. Everywhere. Right. <laughs> Both of those reasons. Yes. <laughs> is there actually no one else with your name on Google search? Correct. Wow, I've got Nissenblatt is not very common. Um, there are some Nussenblatts, but Nissenblatt, and there's no other Ariel Nussenblatts, as far as I know. Would lo- would really love to be proven wrong. It would be a lot of fun. So try it. There's like two or three of my name that are out there, and and the one guy's a math teacher, and he always he's always he sends me a note once in a while. I cannot I cannot like be- an idiot. He says I cannot beat you <laughs> to the top of the search results. So I'm like, well, go ahead and try. <laughs> does he does he need to as a math teacher? Is that really what he needs to do? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's you know an eagle thing, I guess. So, so it's it, yeah. matter of fact, sometimes you wish you weren't at the top of the search results. But uh okay. Well, I guess we're gonna get out of here. Everyone, thanks for being here. Right. Ariel, thanks well, for coming. Thank you on. for having me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was you. a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, again, please go over to newmeshow.com, follow or subscribe to the podcast, and hit us up with a boost with the Fountain app. We appreciate when you do. You'll hear the pew-pew in the content when you do. We'll make sure we mention it here. And uh, with that, we'll get out of here. Everyone take care. We'll see you next time here at the new... Oh, I, I forgot. Todd at Blueberry.com. Rob? And Rob G at Lipson.com. And I'm on Twitter, too, at Rob Greenlee. And uh, I, I post regularly about what's going on with the show on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, go go follow me or follow, was it uh, NMS uh, NM- Podcast? Yeah, NMS Podcast. Is, Twitter. is the Twitter handle. And Sounds so like animus. A lot, a lot more, yeah. We're a lot more active on that account now. So I'm trying to build followers to the to the show Twitter account. And if if everything works right, we'll fade to black right now. Everyone take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.